Hello, and welcome to the Review Squared on Blaze Radio and Blaze Radio Online, or wherever you get podcasts. It's been a rather warm week here in Phoenix, with it finally getting into the 90s, which is not something any of us locals ever look forward to. That means summer's coming. Anyways, that said, we're glad to have you, and I'm Gideon Karaoke. I'm John Brown. I'm Ethan Pelland. I'm Alejandro de la Sandra. And I'm Haley Smilo. And have we got a show for you this week? Jam-packed and everything. So as always, well, with few exceptions, uh, I'll start us off. So this week, apart from being rather hot here, it's also infrastructure week, I say to groans in the audience. Anyways, let's talk a little about the infrastructure plan proposed by President Joe Biden. To put it quite bluntly, this plan is huge. According to the New York Times, the plan has a total price tag of $2 trillion and is broad reaching in its spending proposals. Everything from billions to spend on bridges and road repairs, to billions for expanded research and development, to billions to remove lead pipes is included in this bill. There's far too much there for me to analyze all the details known on air right now, even with a lot of details of it still unknown. And I should really emphasize that this is a proposal that will likely be amended by Congress and come out looking somewhat different in the details than how it started. Given all that, though, today I'm focusing on one aspect of it briefly, transit. And I'll be referencing a New York article, New York Times article, my apologies, through this also. The plan includes $85 billion in funding over the next eight years for modernization and expansion of public transit, which is doubling the federal spending on it each year. Also included is an $80 billion allocation to upgrade and expand inner city rail, such as Amtrak. The point of this increased budget is to upgrade aging public transit and passenger rail networks. For instance, Amtrak, the primary operator of passenger rail in the US, has said that about $25 billion would allow expansion of their services to cities without it currently, like Las Vegas and Phoenix, and also improve their services to cities they already serve across the country. Of course, there's a couple catches. First of all, as I previously said, all of the details are yet to be released. And as the old saying goes, the devil's in the details. And there's questions of the expense that may be needed due to things like cost overruns that are very, very frequent in American transportation projects, and whether it goes to projects that will actually work and will serve communities well. Anyhow, it's a lot, and it's still being figured out. To the panel, do you use public transit? And whether you do or don't, what are your thoughts on this plan? When I lived in Phoenix, I used public transit. Um, I feel like it's, it's hard to, it's really hard to express to people how big of a deal public transit is for people who come from like rural areas where like literally nothing is accessible without a car. Like 
and here in Castellon, they're like, you can't get anywhere without a car. So to me, it was like a really big deal to get around to places without, you know, like having to have a car. Um, and I'm all for this Amtrak expansion because um, like how were they not already in Phoenix? Uh, funnily, funnily enough, there's an Amtrak station in Maricopa, which is like 20 or 30 minute drive from here um, where I live. Um, so yeah, I definitely think these, um, these improvements are needed. I hope that, you know, I hope that no one in Congress is like, well, we need to give less money or we need to cut this or cut that. Like at this point, our infrastructure for public transportation here in the United States is already so outdated. Like it's very well, it's already, you can read thousand articles on how our transportation sucks here in the US. So I feel like anything less than the maximum funding is like a disservice, like cool, but like, let's actually really invest in it rather than like, you know, put half the effort into it. Yeah, I agree with Alejandro on this one. Um, I mean, if you're not like in a big city like Chicago, New York, Boston, or DC, take for example, uh, public transportation can be really limited. And I think even in bigger cities like New York, there's such big problems with public transportation. Um, the subway there in New York is constantly not running on time. It's dirty, it's outdated. They haven't done nearly anything with the trains since I don't even know. Haley might know more about this than me, but I, I agree. There's big problems with the transportation system in the United States. I think if you look at Europe and Asia, their transportation is so much better than here. And yeah, we shall see what happens. To answer your first question, do I use public transportation? Yeah, I've, I've never stepped foot on a subway or a bus. Don't know what those things are. Those of you who don't know, I'm being fully sarcastic. I grew up in New York City. The only way you get around is a subway or the bus. Um, it, it is quicker to ride the subway than a car during rush hour. Um, $2 trillion for all of this sounds like a lot. Uh, I, I'm curious as to where, no, 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 I know it's not, I know it's not for just the subways. I'm saying 85 million for the subways and transit says 2 trillion for all of it, everything. Yeah, got that. That sounds like a lot of money. I don't know where Biden's planning to get all this money from. That's a question I'd love to ask him, but uh, I'm not interviewing Joe Biden. Um, as far as $85 million for the transit system, don't just throw money at the problem. Like money's helpful. But I tell you how much money New York's invested in the subway system and where the subway system is. Sometimes you actually just have to like figure out a plan to fix the system instead of just throwing money at the system. Like New York decided to build new subway stops that were fancy and elaborate. Great. But then tell me, fix, fix the air conditioning when it's 94 degrees and humid. Fix the factor that the train never gets to where it's supposed to go on time. Fix the factor that when it's snowing, I can't walk down the subway because it's full of snow. Like there's problems that need to be addressed. And then as far as like the whole country, I'm confused by how he plans to unify the whole country together to agree on like one thing. Like, are you working with Amtrak or the city planners or who are you working with to get this all done? Because cities already have enough of their own problem getting their public transportation set. Yes, again, money helps, but I, I don't know how he's planning on like unifying everyone with the same ideas. 
because public transport already has enough problems in its own in each individual case, whether it be Boston, Phoenix with the light rail, whatever, I forgot Detroit system, whatever Detroit does all the way, all, all the cities have their own problems. Yeah, uh, Haley, I think you really do put it, you do make a very strong point. Like, yeah, no, a lot of money has been thrown at some of these. Not There's a lot of public transit systems that do suffer from underinvestment, but there are some where it's like, how are you spending this money and why are you spending it in this way? And I think New York's MTA is a really good example of that, unfortunately. it And the problem is, especially with a system as old as New York subways, like, these things snowball. The more you don't take care of them, the cost just goes up and up and up and up and up and up. And it's an old system. It's been around for about a century. And that's a big concern. And, but yeah, no, cost overruns. There's been a lot of public transit system expansion disasters over the past couple of years in this country, um, unfortunately. And we do have to take that seriously. Like the fact is we do spend more on these kind of projects than our peers in Europe and Asia. Those peers that we look up to of having such great transit systems, they spend way less than we do um, on, on their big projects. And like, I mean, most notoriously the California high-speed rail system, which has not built a, uh, is not in operation yet and is kind of in this fun, messy existence where it gets increasingly closer to just being canceled. But anyway, we could do a whole episode on the California high-speed rail because that's a situation even I'm still trying to get to the bottom of. But yeah, it's a very American tradition, yes. spending more money on things and getting worse for it. I mean, look at our healthcare system. We spend more, <laughs> we spend more than any other country if you combine public and private spending and we get much worse results for it. Yeah, it's a big mess. No, like, and I should say, I should add this. I am a public transit user. I do not have a car when I am at my apartment in downtown Phoenix. I do, however, also come from a, like where my family lives to this day is a rather car dependent suburb. And I do know how to drive. And at home, I do have a car I can use. And I've lived both the car-dependent lifestyle and the I'm on foot and take public transit everywhere lifestyles on both ends. And I, yeah, so I am a transit user. Um, and I, I, yeah, no, public transit really good, well-ran public transit matters. Like, and if you look at the light rail system, it has helped enable so much economic development around it. Um, Phoenix around the light rail has changed drastically since I was a little kid. Um, and yeah, so yeah, uh, I, that's, why, that's why I chose to talk about this a bit because you know, transit, something I do care about and something that matters to a lot of us yeah, on the panel and listening at home. So yeah, once again, we'll find out the details as this goes through the uh, legislative process and the Biden administration uh, shows more to Congress who will make the final, who will call the final shots before it hits Biden's desk. But yeah, just thought that was interesting. Anything else from the panel? 
Look, I may be on the MTA, like a whole lot, but public transport is needed. It's like very important. And if you want to create any sort of like urbanization, you need public transport. At the end of the day, any money going towards it, whether it's used properly or not, is probably a good way to spend money. I was thinking about this as everyone uh, was talking. I, do, I would like to see a specific investment in busing in rural areas, because obviously you're not going to build like a subway or a light rail in like a smaller town, like it just doesn't make any sense. But investing in busing makes a lot of sense. So I hope that there is like a, um, you know, in the in the time that leads up to, you know, Congress debating about this, there is a focus on busing in smaller, you know, non-metropolitan areas. Cause that is one way you can make a town, make smaller towns in more rural areas, like accessible for everyone is just busing. And it's not like uh, for a lot of, those places that infrastructure already exists, you'd probably just have to build stops and have routes, but you know, like the buses are there. Well, anyhow, well, yeah, no, really all, thanks for this discussion. And I hope to have plenty of more discussions about public transit and this infrastructure bill, which is once again, very broadly reaching, and we will find out lots more about it over the next few months as it crawls its way through Congress. So with that said, I, if no one else has anything to say, I'm just going to hand it off to John for the next story. Thanks, Gideon. My story revolves around Representative Matt Gates, the Florida Republican who has been investigated by the Justice Department over sex trafficking allegations. Um, by information, he has made a name for himself when he arrived to Washington, um, a conservative defending former President Donald Trump. But according to CNN, behind the scenes, Gates gained a reputation in Congress over his relationships with women and bragging about his sexual relationships to his colleagues, not multiple sources that have told CNN. According to CNN, Gates allegedly showed off to other lawmakers photos and videos of nude women he said he had slept with, including while on the House floor. The sources, including two people, directly shown the material. Gates displayed the images of women on his phone and talked about having sex with them. Um, one of the videos showed a naked woman with a hula hoop, according to one source. And now um, this just came out today on Twitter that a longtime aide to Representative Matt Gates is resigning following the multiple reports that the Florida congressman is being investigated for possible sex, um, for possible sex trafficking. Um, and then this position was his communications director. So all this is happening in Washington. And I want to get the panel's thoughts on just all this because it is a lot to take in. The, I mean, the, uh, like, Congress has the power to like expel him, right? Like, that's within their options. So my thing is, like, if, if the Democrats are, like, really about their platform, and really about like, you know, what they say they are for, then like make expelling him a priority of all this 
you know, the mounted evidence is up against him. I understand like it's a process and stuff, but um, they have the power to do it. So I don't see why they wouldn't considering this is like, obviously like an extreme, like breach of their values. Yeah, and I think, I think earlier in the week, um, uh, Kevin McCarthy, he's the, um, why am I blinking on his position? Can someone tell me? He's the House Minority, House Minority Leader. Okay, I thought he was the House Minority Leader. He did make a statement earlier in the week, I think, talking about how if the allegations are true against Matt Gates, that, uh, that he will definitely be like out of Congress. I mean, as he should. But no, I find your point to be really interesting, Alejandro. Does anyone else have anything on this? Wait, a question to John. If I remember correctly, isn't he also, weren't there allegations released uh, of a de uh, the Department of Justice investigating a, a, an inappropriate sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl? Was that a, a thing? Because I remember seeing, was that Gates? Yeah, that was Gates. They were also investigating that too. I mean, if this all turns out to be yeah. true, go ahead, Gideon. Oh, no, no, sorry, you started, continue. Oh, I was just going to say, if this all turns out to be true, it's absolutely disgusting and it's shameful that people like him are put into a position of power. Um Obviously, people are entitled to believe what they want to believe and vote the way they want to vote, but like know who you're putting into places and who they are outside of just their policies and their politics. Yeah. Yeah. To put it in another way. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Gideon. Okay. To put it another way, character counts, especially when you're talking about something like as serious as allegations of, of, you know, sexually abusing a minor, uh, which those are serious allegations that he's being investigated for. And he is, of course, like everyone else before the criminal justice system entitled to a presumption of innocence, but that is not a great place to be. And of course the other allegations of him, not criminal, but rather unprofessional of him circulating inappropriate photographs in Congress and bragging about um, sleeping with fellow representatives. That's just, that is stuff that will get you fired from most jobs. And so at the minimum, if that's true, and, and once again, if, if the non-criminal stuff alone is true, that's he shouldn't be in Congress. Like there's no workplace where you can where you can do that and people know and you can stay around for much long for very long that is a lawsuit waiting to happen for most employers and they will most of them will just rather get rid of you than face a lawsuit under the civil rights act so anyway yeah no not good and uh i do yeah, no, it's so problematic that this is a recurring theme with Congress and in politics. Like, you know, the allegations against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who still has not resigned, despite, you know, what is it now, 10 women? If I remember correctly, can anyone, does anyone know off the top of their head? I believe it's 10 accusing him. I'm not sure. Sexual harassment. 
yeah, it, it's completely outrageous. But the, like the fact that this happens so periodically in politics is not good and things need, and this is a problem across, you know, the United States of sexual harassment and other sexual misconduct. And like, no, that's, you can't do that. Yeah, no, those are all really good points, you guys. Um, well, if that's all the comments we have on my story, I will throw it to Ethan. Yes. Um, before we get into my story, as as we sort of said, why why does this sort of keep happening? And clearly, clearly, uh, it's a it's a serious issue, and across parties, people aren't. There's really, it's really difficult to hold them unaccountable. As Gideon said, Cuomo's been accused of 10 different women um, and he's staying, seemingly going to stay put regardless of what he's been accused of. All right, to move on to my story for the week, um, there's a lot that's been going on um, very rapidly um, with this story. So I'm just gonna try to provide um, what I know and then we can have a sh- conversation on and off the next. So I uh, discussed this a month ago when it occurred, which is the ongoing um, military sort of consolidation of power in Myanmar, what, and what has taken place over the last few weeks. So uh, for the for listeners uh, who listened in about a month ago, um, Myanmar's military decided to overthrow the civilian government in Myanmar and install a military junta. And in response to this, uh, Myanmar's civilian population has not backed down. Uh, They've stayed on the streets. They have continued to protest, pursuing uh, labor strikes and essentially almost all possible means of civil disobedience. As well, uh, new new, uh, clashes have started between um, different uh, ethnic militant groups in the military. In response to this, the military has entirely relied on force. There has been essentially no meaningful engagement from the MR's military with any of the civilian opposition. They are attempting to consolidate all power with basically no concessions to, to, to the civilian leadership. Um, they just announced today uh, that the former pres- former chairman um, and popular uh, leader of the uh, National League for Democracy, Aung uh, San Suu is being charged with breaching state secrets. Um, she's obviously not going to get a fair trial, and this is really just an attempt to put her to take her out of the limelight so that she can't lead any any pop be a popular resistance figurehead. Now, this is all very typical, um, not very divergent from. Uh, previous instances of autocratic overthrows. What is, I would say, different is how violent Myanmar's military has been. So far, they've killed at least 500 people, um, including 116 last weekend on uh, Saturday. They've their response essentially to these protests has been to shoot people until they until the protests um, stop. And this also has included at least 40 children, um, and uh, even babies have been uh, shot by the uh, Myanmar's military. 
so the international community is attempting to coordinate a response. The Biden administration and the UK government uh, just announced a few days ago um, new sanctions on the two largest state-owned state companies in Myanmar, making it to where they can't uh, conduct any business with US or UK banks, essentially shutting them out of half of uh, the, the world's financial system. Oh my. Yeah, the Myanmar situation over the past few months and I mean they they've really been going through it. We've talked a lot about Myanmar on this show because it just does not stop and you know military coups do tend to be relatively well most of the time on average are pretty violent. Of course there's some exception to the rule but uh, of course, the threat of violence is almost always there. But yeah, this seems a pretty exceptionally violent, even for the line of autocratic military coups. Just shooting everyone is not normal, even for military coups, believe it or not. So I don't know what their path forward seems to be, because that's not a sustainable strategy. They will have to commit an actual genocide which they've already done against the Rohingya, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about this apart from, oh my goodness. Can you guys hear me now? Yes, okay, okay. Uh, sorry, my mic uh, cut out for a minute there. So as uh, Gideon was talking about, yes. Um, the world system. God dang it. Can you hear me now? Yes, you can hear me. Okay, I'll just restart what I was saying. So what, what Gideon's saying is true, is that this is an exceptionally violent response, um, even more so than, than what happened in Egypt in 2013 and what happened in Iran in 2019. Um, I think this shows the limitations of the world system. Um, even with even with the two two of the largest um, purveyors of the of the world financial system essentially shutting out Myanmar from the entire global economy, the entire global financial economy is essentially changed nothing in Myanmar in the military's calculus. Um, and I, I think, not to sound like cliche or the sort of the the typical disillusionment with this there's been at least three instances now this year of states killing their own populations or, or engaging in violence against other populations with virtually no consequences. And I, I think it should be a remind, it's, it should be a wake up call that even though we've made progress in since the 1990s, since what happened in Rwanda, um, is that we are still really not able, if a, if a state wants to, it can and will 
kill its own population. And there's not much that can be done. I mean, look at what happened in Ethiopia and what happened uh, between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Even with the entire world against them, they were still, they've still been able to engage in the violence that they have. Um, so I, I really think it's a wake up call and where we're at in terms of the world system, I guess to say. And that's uh, my story. There's a lot going on. I would recommend following the uh, New York Times for their coverage um, just because they've been providing daily breakdowns of, of the violence that's been taking place. And uh, with that, I will uh, hand it off to Alejandro for his story. Thank you, Ethan. Um, I appreciate you updating us on that, definitely something we should all take a closer look at and just international events in general. So this week, um, I wanted to highlight um, five trans people who are currently fighting against, um, for lack of a better word, the onslaught of anti-transgender legislation happening all over the United States. There even is a bill that has been introduced in the Arizona legislature um, this session um, and I want to highlight those people and tell our listeners what they can do about it because most of these anti-trans, most of this anti-trans legislation is targeted towards trans women and trans girls um, not being able to play um, on the sport, on the teams with the gender they identify with. And also the other thing that it's affecting, these uh, bills are affecting, um, sorry, I'm just like, gathering my words, um, basically would effectively deny gender affirming care and healthcare for trans people. So it's either um, trying to take trans women and girls out of sports or trying to deny healthcare and gender affirming care to trans people, which is just, um, it's just bad. I mean, objectively, obviously, if you listen to the show for any amount of time, you know that while most of us are journalists, um, we still do believe in doing the right thing. So I want to highlight these people. So first, I want to highlight two people. First, Chase Strangio. Um, and before I start with this, I just want to like tell our audience, like I've gathered most of this info from all of um, these uh, individuals' websites and their social medias. So none of this is like original reporting. I just want to tell our audience uh, who these people are and what they can do um, to fight against trans legislation. Um, but I'll all the credit goes to these people for doing the work that they've done. So the first two individuals I wanna highlight are Chase Strangio. He is the deputy director for transgender justice with the ACLU, LGBTQ and HIV project. And Raquel Willis, she is an activist, writer and cultural organizer, former director of communications for the Miss Foundation, former executive editor of Out Magazine and former national organizer for the Transgender Law Center. Both Strangio and Willis organized a week of action leading up to the Trans Day events Trans Day of Visibility, which is March 31st. You can find those actions on their Twitters and Instagrams. Although the week has passed, the actions to call and email governors to veto anti-trans legislation still stand, as well as trans organizations to donate to in those states where that legislation is. Uh, the next person I wanna highlight is Chris uh, Mosier, or Mosier, I apologize if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. He's an athlete and he's the first transgender athlete to represent United States in international competition. He runs transathlete.com, which is a resource for those in athletics to find information about trans inclusion in, in sports. And he also keeps track of all anti-trans legislation in the United States on the site. 
and on the site you can see all the states and the legislation in that will direct you towards action you can take um, against the anti-trans legislation. The next person is Skylar Bailar again. Apologize for pronouncing his name wrong. He was the first trans division one NCAA athlete. He's also an activist and uses his Instagram to educate about trans issues in addition to other social justice issues. And the final person I want to highlight is Alok V. Menon. They are an author, performer, speaker, and activist. And they use their Instagram to educate about the history of race and gender and how those to intersect. Um, um, and I guess one thing I just want final thing to cap this off, I want to tell our audience is even though um, this is all happening, there's something we can do about it. Um, even if uh, you don't live in a state where this legislation is currently um, in the House or the Senate, the best thing all of us can do is to call and email governors and tell them to veto um, this legislation and to tap into organizations in those states where the legislation is and um, keep up with their work, donate. Um, so yeah, simple things that we can do, call, email, donate, if you had the means, but we can all definitely call and email governors. Uh, we don't have to live in those states. Um, at the end of the day, like uh, trans rights or human rights, um, which I don't wanna sound like it's just like a platitude, um, but we have to, these people are a part of our society there, our siblings. So I, you know, it's only right that we make sure that they have the same rights as us. And these bills are not about protecting um, girls in sports. Um, you know, a lot of legislators have tried to run with the narrative about trans girls dominating sports. That's not happening, that has yet to happen. Um, and denying gender affirming care and healthcare for trans people is just cruel because it doesn't matter what type of healthcare they're getting, like everyone needs healthcare. So I just call on our audience to um, take action against um, the anti-trans legislation that is happening across the United States. And um, I will give Gideon the links um, to all these people and um, resources. So when you listen, just go to the description and you will find um, all those places to go to. And with that, I will hand it off to Haley. Uh, thank you for highlighting all those people. It's really important as journalists to not only look at the negatives, but to highlight the people who deserve to be highlighted as well. Um, and it's great that all those people are making pushes towards helping with trans legislation, but it's also important as Alejandra said that listeners do what you can if it's something you support. Anyhow, let's go to a little bit of a lighter topic. It's my favorite time of the year. Yep, Arizona reaching the 90s at the start of April, just my absolute favorite. Just kidding. Well, the hot weather's nice, kinda. What's really been keeping me up this week is the return of baseball. Opening day was yesterday, April 1st, because we're recording this on April 2nd. And I'm gonna give you 10 takeaways in order. So let's get started with Florida with the Citrus Series. Opening day, in-state duels. What more could you wish for? Yesterday, the Marlins and the Rays faced off and the Rays came out on top, one to nothing. If you're someone like me who loves pitchers duels, this was one for you. The two teams only racked up a combined eight hits and the only run came out of a single shot homer from the Rays outfielder, Austin Meadows. 
props to pitchers Tyler Glasnow and Sandy Alcatra, who were able to keep the game to a low score. Coming in at number nine is Bryce Harper's cleats. Since this is a podcast and I can't show you the shoes, I'm going to do my best to describe them, but please look them up. I promise you they're a really funny pair of shoes. You'd probably get a kick out of them. The Phillies have a mascot called the Philly Fanatic, which is a big, green, fluffy, monster, character-like thing. Take the Philly Fanatic and all fluffiness and now add that to the cleat. Boom! Bryce Harper's cleats on opening day. Not only that, he had a bat that was based off of the Philly Fanatic. Could not see more team spirit. Bryce, I like the style. Number eight, we'll head to Seattle where the Mariners were taking on the Giants. Headed into the eighth, the Giants had a six to one lead and looked like they could have had the game in the bag. Well, things started to turn around. The fielders couldn't get their act together and they struggled to do the simple job of fielding a baseball. Then the game went to extras. The Mariners got three walks and a homer and well, happy night for Seattle fans. And the Giants fans, disappointed and preparing for the rest of the 161-game season. A's versus Astros coming in at number seven. Poor Houston Astros. Just kidding. They're cheaters. I don't feel bad for them. And the A's fans didn't either. They held them accountable. They booed them all night. were holding signs, talking about trash cans. It was great. Loved it. Despite all of that, the Astros killed the A's. And Zach Granke had himself a game. He had six scoreless innings and 11 strikeouts. And the bats were on fire, too. Maybe trash cans, maybe not. Who's to say? Outfielder Michael Brantley went three for four, and Bregman and Alvarez each drove in a couple of runs. The Astros took that one, eight to one. And at number six, the Dodgers are still really freaking good. Despite losing eight to five to the Colorado Rockies, they're a team that's still to be feared. They left 14 men on base. But unlike most teams that leave men on base, they were able to score five. In the ninth inning, they were able to get just a hit short of winning the game. The Rockies, lucky to get one by on the Dodgers. And at number five, we've got the Yankees versus Blue Jays. And it's time for me to be a bit biased. Yankees versus Blue Jays. And yes, the Yankees lost three to two in the 10th inning. Am I over it? No. But do we have 161 more games to play? Yes. So I guess it's okay. I'll accept the loss. The positive for the Yankees, Gary Sanchez hitting a home run. And unfortunately, that's about it. All props to the Blue Jays pitcher, Hinjin Ryu. He was dominant. He was able to strike out the top three seven times and keep them to 0-14 throughout the game. Hernandez, a rookie on the Blue Jays, also went three for four in the game. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr., after shedding some weight in the offseason, looked good. This game was also notable as it was the first game of the 2021 season. To Sin City, where the St. Louis Cardinals took on the Cincinnati Reds and came away with the 11-6 win. Nolan Arenado and the former Arizona Diamondback, Paul Goldschmidt, looked to be a very scary duo, as they combined for four runs, two RBIs, and a 6-for-10 day. At number three, we have Cody Bellinger confusion? A home run's a home run, right? Well, kinda. As Cody Bellinger and the Dodgers would learn in the third inning, Belly launched one over the wall, and his teammate Justin Turner didn't realize it was a homer. So in the process, Bellinger ended up passing him, which in baseball means an out. So a two-run homer really only became a one-run homer and an out, meaning the Dodgers picked up an extra out. There's a great meme on Twitter of Cody Bellinger looking super confused. Highly recommend that. So uh, in short, we love rules, right? Wacky rules, they're fun. Number two, it's my favorite moment of opening day. And it makes me miss the snow a little. 
Miguel Cabrera, the baseball legend, hit the first homer of 2021, and the homer was beautiful. I'm going to take a minute here to show it to the panel because, I like, you just have to see this home run. Panel, can you see my screen? They can't see my screen. I'll show it to them later. But basically, he hit it through the snow in Detroit, and it was – the home run was amazing – but so was the snow in the video. It, it was just perfect. And it reminded me of why I love baseball so much. Again, it, it was amazing. Go to Twitter, go to the Tigers Twitter. It's why I love baseball. And coming in at number one, it's not anything a player did or anything a team did. It's the fact that fans are back. What makes baseball baseball? The sounds, the smells, the cheers, and the boos, and the overall ridiculousness of the sport. And all in all, fans are an essential part of what makes baseball baseball. As a baseball fan, I can't wait to go catch a game. But for now, I'm just happy baseball's back. Panel, any thoughts on opening day or questions about the weird things that happened? I did not get around to watching opening day, although everyone on my timeline was watching opening day. Um, but I'm not too familiar with baseball. I like watch the World Series when it comes on, you know, like a game or two. But a question I had just about where the league is right now, because I definitely do want to get into MLB. Is there like, is there parity in Major League Baseball or is there no parity? Um, what do you mean by parity in this context is my question back to you. Like, um, is it like, is it like, is it not like the NBA where it's like obvious either the Lakers or the Nets? Like, is it, is it like, is there like an open competition or is it clear if there's who's going to win this season? So thing about baseball is because it's an 162 game season, it continuously comes down to the wire. And there's a bunch of teams that get wild cards and have the chance to make it far into the postseason. For example, the Nationals did that in 2019 and ended up winning the World Series. But there's always teams you're going to count on to get there, like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the bigger teams, you know, are always going to get there. But it's not the same as the NBA, where it's like, oh, yep, the Lakers are going to win. We all know that. Uh, it's a lot more divided and a lot more game by game come the end of the season. Any other thoughts? I searched up Bryce Harper's shoes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that I wanted to talk <laughs> for shoes and the home run, which I will show you guys the home run later because it's like something you have to see. But Bryce Harper's shoes, just chef's kiss, amazing. Love them. That's like the youth and epitomization of baseball. Love it. Oh, yeah. No, he's just having a good time in those shoes. And by the way, the Philly Fanatic is one of my favorite all-time mascots. Like, no, seriously, <laughs> Philly has outdone themselves. I was like, how do I describe the Fanatic? When I was writing that, I was like, how do I describe this, like, entity if someone doesn't know what it was? And it was a fun experience trying to figure out how to describe the Philly Fanatic. You have to see it. Just search. Just use Google. Like that is my advice. It's it's hard to describe. I mean, between that podcast. <laughs> no, between that and gritty for their NHL team, the Flyers. Honestly, yeah. Philadelphia, great no, city for sports. Yeah, you win the mascots. Like they they just did. Alejandro, what were you gonna ask? Uh, before I get to that, I just looked at the Bryce Harper cleats. Um, honestly, love to see a baseball player not take themselves so seriously because I always perceive the sport to be very 
it's all serious. Um, also, speaking of Gritty, um, if you're going to support Gritty, you should support Gritney. Um, if you were online at all this past summer, you would have seen Gritney. I don't know where she is now, but I hope she's doing well. Um, and if, yeah, if the Phillies are not cowards, they will showcase Gritney for all of who she is. Um, but my question is, will Chase Field see playoff baseball? Uh, yes, justice for Gritney, uh, first off. Second off, watch more baseball. You'll see how fun the sport is. I promise you. It's, it's not as old white man as it seems. Um, <laughs> will the D-backs slash Chase Field make it to the postseason? <sighs> You're putting me on the spot here. And as much as I want to say yes, I unfortunately believe the answer is no. The Dodgers and the Padres are just too good. Um, and I think that they're not going to be able to get a wild card spot competing against teams in the NL Central or the NL East. So unfortunately, I don't think it's the D-backs year, but I wish and hope they prove me wrong because if they do get there, I will be a happy Arizona fan. Yeah, uh, Haley, thank you for going over the, the top 10 moments. It seems like baseball had a rather wild and crazy opening day. Like, that sounds... Yeah, yeah. An, eventful, an eventful opening day when you've got 14 games because the Mets game was canceled. The Mets-Nats game was canceled due to COVID. Uh, baseball's not out of the water with COVID. Please, please stop thinking that. Um, when you have 14 different games going on and uh, people just excited to be back, you're going to get a lot of fun. You know what else is a lot of fun? The Review Squared. We have a great time here every Friday at 7 o'clock. Good, good show. We love it. Uh, we hope you love it. If you want to hear more of us, you can listen to us on Blaze Radio or on any podcasting app. You can also listen to us, sort of, on Twitter and Instagram, review underscore squared. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you have a great one. We've been the cast of The Review Squared. The song at the start of the episode is dedicated to the press by Betty Davis, and the music you hear is by Springtide.